0: Well, we live in a time of transitions and a time where uh, it feels like so much changes so quickly, uh, but we are not unique in that. And I was reading up about a company that was going through parts of the change earlier in the uh, earlier 1900s, uh, the Catal Soap Company, which was founded in 1912 in Cincinnati. And they solved a problem in their world, which was there was a lot of coal furnaces. And coal furnaces would leave a lot of soot on the, on the wallpaper, and it needed a lot of cleaning. And so they developed this, this malleable uh, cleaning device to, to clean off the soot on the wallpaper. And so it was, you know, got them a lot of business, and they grew. Uh, but then technology changed, and people moved from these coal furnaces to uh, oil or gas gas or electric and suddenly you didn't have the same problem anymore you didn't have to clean these walls the the wallpaper styles changed and and suddenly they kept seeing sales go down and down and and you know that leads to pain of like layoffs or or just all sorts of well what do we do now and so they had to figure out what to do with that devastating crisis and and we in our own day have to figure out what to do in our own transitions as we face all sorts of change. And, and I'm sure if you were someone who's really good at retail sales and you were good at talking someone, to someone about a product and, and getting someone to buy something, well, suddenly the world keeps going more and more to online shopping and, and well, what do I do? What, what's my purpose? Or maybe you're really good at cold calling, which is its own skill. And you're a great telemarketer, and when people call, people had to answer the phone, because that was the way of communication. But then people started texting, or, or social media messaging, or emailing. And suddenly, the phone isn't as pleasant, unless I know who's calling. And, and so how do I use my phone skills when the people I want to call are afraid to ever answer the phone? Or maybe people who, who loved creating kind of sit-down restaurant experiences, and then the pandemic happens. Well, I'm not sure that I'm a takeout restaurant. I don't I don't want to be a delivery restaurant. I feel like it's missing out, but well, how do I survive in a new world? And we have not we're not new in this age of crisis of how do I adapt to the world? The world has always been changing. Sure, it seems like it's exponentially getting faster. We just we feel it maybe more attuned than than maybe some other periods. But everyone has always had to deal with change and how do I respond to change? And so we all have different reasons that we're afraid of letting go. If you're in the swimming pool and you're afraid of swimming for the first time, getting away from that edge of the pool and you're just holding on, clinging onto the edge, it's hard to let go and trust that you can actually survive out in the deep waters. And so for some of us, we're afraid of the unknown. Who knows what big scary thing might be out there that I'm not familiar with yet and that I haven't even thought of yet. Uh, and so you're fearful of the unknown. For some of us, we're afraid of failure. Like, you've, you've done well in life, and so you've been successful, and that success means that, like, oh, surely they have then more confidence. But now, well, what if I fail? What will my family think about me? What will my friends say? Can I, can I actually get off of the ledge and go towards something new when I might fail at it? Sometimes people are afraid of losing the things they have. There's, maybe it's the way of life, maybe it's the certain status you have, but, but you have something that feels good, and you're like, well, if I let go, who knows what all I'm going to be letting go of. What if I lose the things that I care about? What if I lose my comfort because it's cozy? Oh, I, I know my thing, but what if I go to something new and it's not as comfortable? What if I'm not good enough? I'm not capable enough, I'm I'm inadequate. Do I really want to trust testing out something new that might tell me something about myself that I'm afraid of? I might be afraid of financial security. I might be afraid of losing friends, family. I might be just afraid of losing clarity. I like knowing what's coming next. There's all sorts of potential deaths that we're afraid of, And so it keeps us from going off of the wall and swimming out into the deeper end. And our text and our story today is about someone who didn't have much of a decision in this matter. He gets little bits of decisions, but he is taken from his homeland. He's taken into a new context, and he must deal with a transition in the world, in his life, in his religion, his faith. And so we're going to talk about the story of Ezekiel. Now, I'm actually assuming that we probably don't know much about Ezekiel. When it comes to biblical prophets, we'll spend a little more time with Isaiah. We might spend a little bit of time with Jeremiah. Ezekiel has 48 chapters, and we probably don't spend a lot of time with Ezekiel. And so I want to read for you the calling part of the story before we get into this. This is Ezekiel 1, verses 1 through 3. In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, and on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Chebar, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to the priest, Ezekiel son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the, the hand of the Lord was on him there. These few verses, which feels like you're just getting some time and date, location. It might just be like something to dismiss. Okay, I don't know. What year is this? Where is this? But this is like actually quite traumatic of a time reference. It would be like if you were told we are on September 11th and it's about 8.30 a.m. And you'd say, oh my goodness, I know what might be happening. I know what might be going on in the world. This is... One of the most traumatic times of Judah's history. He says it in one part, on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. This is um, in the midst of Babylonian exile. And so uh, Judah had been ruled by Assyria from afar, and then the Babylonians came through and took the, the land. And so they came through first in 598, 597 BC, and they they won, they had victory, and they took a lot of the religious elite, a lot of the wealthy, a lot of the educated, and they ripped them from their homes, took them to Babylon in exile. It would be several years later, um, in 586, so about 12 years later or so, that Babylon would have to come back through because they didn't like what was going on in Judah, and they retook the land again, and this time they would destroy the temple, and they would take more people into exile. So we're living in this story at the beginning here, in between the first wave of exile and the second. So things are, are dire, they're painful, he's living in the Babylonian territory, he's at a river that's not a river in Israel, it's, it's a foreign place, and it's in that that God is going to speak to him. Now this book begins in the 30th year, and you notice there was a couple time dates, we actually have no idea for certain what 30th year he's talking about at the very first part of this book, which leads to 2,000 years, well, since it's 2,500 years or so, of conjecture, of what exactly does he mean? What kind of event might he be talking about? And one of the the early interpretational uh, opinions that I think is meaningful, at least just for devotional purposes, that we can't prove any of them, that this book is, it seems autobiographical, it seems like Ezekiel keeps telling you his thoughts, his experiences, and so for many people, the 30th year is about his 30th year. That when I was 30, let me tell you a story. And why that would be interesting is that the word of the Lord came to the priest Ezekiel in this 30th year. In the 30th year, the priest would get this new opportunity, they would be commissioned into taking care of the temple, into, into new kind of vocational service. And so it's like your graduation day, it's your like, I'm elevated into this new place where I get to do these things I've been training for and raised for my whole life. And if you could imagine that your whole life you were trained and learning about how to, how to take care of the temple structure, how to do sacrifices for people, and when it's time for you to be able to live out that culmination, you are ripped from your homeland and living in exile, where you can't do these offerings anymore, you're, you're so far from the temple, and you have to figure out, well, what's my place here? Sometimes when we have like end of the world scenario movies or stories and like apoc- apocalyptic stories, and you're thinking, okay, if I was stuck at the end of the world, what kind of professions do I want people around me with? Right, I want someone who's been a hunter, someone who maybe who has been an engineer. And poor Ezekiel saying, I was a priest in the temple, and I have no temple. What is my role out here? And the word of the Lord comes to him, and there's this really extended strange image that comes next. This imagined, um, I heard someone say it, call it the Godmobile, kind of like the Batmobile. Uh, there's this this traveling throne of God with these different creatures with different faces and these weird wheels within wheels. And Ezekiel's standing there at that river, and he encounters the presence of God. And that's weird because he thinks the presence of God should be at the temple. And he finds in Babylon, God's throne has arrived there on the river. And so Ezekiel sees this, and I'm sure he's startled by it, and he's confused by it. Uh, and so it has all these explanations of what he's seeing, and then it turns to uh, the presence of God talking to him in the story. And so I'm going to read for you Ezekiel 2, 1, and hear what the calling of Ezekiel is in this story. The Lord said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn, and I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. I'm going to pause there. He's a priest, he's not a prophet. And we kind of hear a bunch of religious terms and we're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of all the same thing. But he is told, I'm going to send you to, a, to your own people. I'm going to speak to people, uh, I, I need you to speak to your own people, and I need you to speak as a prophet and not a priest. And there's a lot of um, forewarning that they might not listen to you their hearts are closed off, they're rebellious. So I'm going to transform your call. You're you're meant to to be a priest, and priests, you know, if people messed up, you could bring your offerings, you get your relationship with God fixed. And it's about maintaining the relationship with God that you have. And it's about maintaining the order of all things. But I'm going to call you to something different. I'm going to call you to being a prophet. And so instead of fixing the relationship, I want you to pronounce some things for me. And these things that he's gonna have to pronounce are not going to be pleasant. It's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be painful. Because if you remember, we're between two exiles. This story is about pronouncing that the temple is about to be destroyed, that more exile is coming, that more pain is ahead. And if you were ever given a message to give to somebody, you do not want this to be your calling. Who wants to be the person that, uh, let's say you don't work in HR. You're a sales team member. And the HR people are like, you know, we're really sorry about this. We're about to have to lay off a bunch of people. You know what? You should go tell them for us. Say, that's not my job. Why do I have to be the bearer of bad news? And so Ezekiel meets the presence of God and he says, stand up here. I'm sending you to your own people to be a prophet among them. And in verse six, O mortal, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns surround you and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words and do not be dismayed at their looks for they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them but whether they hear or refuse to hear for they are a rebellious house. You think he thinks they're rebellious. But you mortal, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And I looked, and a hand was outstretched to me, and a written scroll was on it. And he spread the scroll before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and written on it were words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, mortal, eat the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and in my mouth, it was as sweet as honey. I imagine, if you just imagine the pink, you know, the pink notice, you know, this kind of, your your pink slip, you're gonna get fired you. Hey, you're about to give all these, this bad news to people. I want you to eat this pink slip first. (laughs) What on earth are you, what? I'm not eating this paper. This idea that I have a message for you and I need it to go inside of you first. I need you to to take it in. That it's not just exterior and say, I'm not gonna think about what I have to go do right now. I'm gonna just close off my heart. I'm gonna give the notice to people. But instead, consume it, absorb it, let it get within you, this message. And so this is not the first of the weird, I guess this is part of the first weird things in this text, but But Ezekiel is famous for doing some bizarre symbolic acts. God keeps telling him to do all these strange things to let people know what's going on in the world. And there's something in us that we can't take a simple message. Like, hey God, can't you just give me a few words to say? Why do I have to do these weird things? And so Ezekiel gets commanded to do something strange. He gets commanded to tie himself up and lay on his side for 390 days. Anybody say, God, we have some different timing needs here. Why am I laying on my side for 390 days? I can't sleep overnight on my one side. I've got to roll over every once in a while. Sleep on your side for 390 days to, uh, to explain um, what's kind of coming for Israel. Roll over for 40 days. You're going to lay on the other side for Judah. And it gets even weirder. I was, <laughs> I was uh, talking to my six-year-old about this story earlier in the week. She was telling me about a book she read, and so she wanted to know how my day was. And I was like, well, I read a different book. And in my book, God told Ezekiel to eat some weird food. So he's tied up on his side, and he's supposed to cook some really basic weird food, but he's supposed to cook cook it over human feces. It's a weird fuel. I talked about coal furnaces earlier. (laughs) Feces is a weird cooking Uh, method, but actually animal feces did get used when you had very little supplies. And Ezekiel is kind of finally at that point when he hears about the feces, he goes, hey God, can I make a request? (laughs) It's interesting, like where he goes to and he's finally like, God, you know what? I have been a priest. It's been my job to be clean because unclean people bring me stuff and they need me to be in a right relationship with you to follow your law so I can offer sacrifices. God, why do I have to do this? And God's like, fine, we'll use some cow feces (laughs) instead of humans. You're like, okay, a little better, thanks. But it's supposed to symbolize that when you have famine and you have armies surrounding your city and suddenly you start running out of food and you start feeling trapped and you're starting to eat things that are not natural to be eaten, that things are about to get unpleasant. And there's Ezekiel tied up doing this for a year. Some weird, weird images. And you're thinking, this is not what I signed up for, God. You know, when I tried to be a priest, I thought my life was going to be a little bit different. I was going to get, like, VIP access to God. I was going to get to go into these great places. I was going to have some amazing feasts, right? People are offering sacrifices. Oh, uh, I'm so sorry about this barbecue. Where am I? I'm in exile. I'm tied up on my side eating this awful stuff. Where are you, God? What is going on? And so you can imagine Ezekiel is confused. You can imagine that Israel itself is confused, right? Like, how do we lose our our temple? How do we get taken into exile? And so the story keeps building up until finally in the story we get the big announcement. He meets someone who has fled from, from Israel. He's been taken into exile and he says the city has fallen this is the climax all of this judgment all of this woe that i've been saying is coming on the horizon it's here the temple has been destroyed part of the images that ezekiel sees is that god in that god mobile leaves the temple because of all of the sins all the problems and makes his way out into the wilderness and out and towards babylon And so now Ezekiel has a calling. It's not just about judgment and woes, but now we are talking about rebuilding. Everything has fallen. We've reached the point that everyone was so afraid of, that everyone was so scared of. The absolute low point. But now we can think about what's coming next. How do we imagine what is in front of us? How do we imagine how to rebuild? How do we get our hearts right? How do we transform ourselves and live differently this time? And so Ezekiel starts telling some different kinds of stories. The one that I think if you've read any story in Ezekiel, you read this chapter, Ezekiel 37, where you hear the story of the valley of the dry bones. Everybody know that kind of story, them bones them bones you can hear a musical tune in your head but i feel like when we do the valley of dry bones and we haven't talked about how awful of an experience it's been to get to that point we don't understand the power of the valley of the dry bones because in the story ezekiel's walking in this vision through this valley and there's just bones everywhere and i think we make that clean looking and sounding But there's just carnage. Everything has been destroyed and has decayed. And and the bones is all that's kind of left of this painful experience. And God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And for us, that's a hard question to answer because we are just trying to think of how can I make it live again? I can't do anything. No, these bones can't live again. But God, what, what do you say? Only you can do something here. And so in this story, the bones, they start shaking and there's a wind coming through and the bones start coming together and then little tendons and muscles and skin and the breath and the wind of God fills them up and so that people come to life again. It's one of the few images of resurrection in the Old Testament. It's this imagination that the community of God that looks wiped out, looks decimated, looks like they have lost, can still be gathered back up, and there's an image in this that all these as this living beings, as they come back to life, God kept talking about how people had hearts of stone, but they will take on his love, his law internally, kind of like that prophet eating that scroll. It's going to be within me, that my law is within me, and I can I want to live by it. I don't want to just have okay, what are the rules I got to do but I love God's teaching and I live it out. And so sometimes God has to like rebuild us from the inside out. That our stone hearts are so solid, we just can't get anywhere. We just are too rebellious. We can't say yes. We just keep saying no to God. And so sometimes it takes the climax of being taken to the grave, the pits of our lives, the the worst moments you could imagine to get rebuilt into something new. And I heard someone talk about, um, you know, the, when I was thinking about the stone heart, someone was talking about that they had a conversation with their counselor and they, they were saying, you know, I just wish I would stop having such highs and lows. My life, I feel like I'm, everything's great or everything's miserable. I wish I could just have like a real regular day or everything was just evened out. And the counselor said, you know, have you ever seen like your heart on the scans? And there's these peaks and valleys. The only people who have it leveled out are the ones who are flatlined. Maybe you should appreciate those highs and lows. There's something about a solid stone heart that says, okay, you can't hurt me, you can't affect me, you can't change me. But we have to be able to have those ebbs and flows, those highs and lows, those to be vulnerable, to be willing to feel, to be willing to be hurt, to willing to, to celebrate, to have joy. And so, can we open our hearts to God? Ezekiel's image isn't just about the people in the story, it goes wider. And so, he tells the story of the wilderness. If you can imagine in your head like the deserts and the mountain ranges of Israel, of this kind of just unwatered land that feels desolate. And so he imagines this image of, of water cleansing the land and vegetation growing, so much so that he talks about the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is famous because it has so much salt that, people, that creatures can't live in it. If you go in the pool, you just, you just float because there's so much salt. But he imagines that the Dead Sea has been transformed to life, that animals eat from it, that people are fishing at the sea, that the whole land is renewed and healed. And so by the time that he's told this story that that the community might be able to be raised up, that the land might be able to be raised up, he tells one more story. It says in the 50th year, which again, we don't know which year counting he's using, but if it's his personal life story and it's his 50th year, that would also be retirement age for the priests. And so if this story might be the bracketing of his priesthood occupation time frame to his retirement, he imagines in his retirement years a new temple, and he tells a giant building plan. Uh, I'm not sure, like, we're used to engineering plans, you know, with graphs and grids and stuff, but, but like, this is a narrative engineering plan for the temple, and it's not exactly like the temple was, but the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel are a building plan. Here's this room, it's facing this direction. Here's this gate. But we lose like the power of how defiant that story is. Because to us, you're like, nine chapters of this is so boring. What is going on? But if you can imagine that you're, you were trained to be a priest in this temple environment, and that never happened, and you hear word that your temple has been completely destroyed and decimated, and he goes and he tells a story of rebuilding a place where God comes close to people, And he tells nine chapters of defiantly saying, here's what that temple could look like again. And he tells this great big story, and he ends it by by naming the city there. And you would be expecting him to say, ah, the great Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, uh, which is kind of what Revelation does, the new Jerusalem. But instead, Ezekiel's last words of the book are, That city will be named, the Lord is there. It's a new name for the city. That when people look on that place, they see God's presence. That sure, God might have had to leave them because of their problems, their sins, and destruction happened, and exile happened. But one day, people will look at us and our cities and say, well, God surely is there. And to people who feel abandoned, who feel alone, who feel empty, what a great word of comfort. So I think about what is it for us to like get off of that edge, to, to trust God, to, to dive into the deeper part of the pool of our lives. Part of that comes from trusting that somewhere on the other side of that, God is there. I was telling you earlier that story of the Catal Soap Company who lost out on those coal furnaces, didn't have the same job anymore. Um you would imagine that you felt really stressed and afraid of your future. Well, one day, one of the executives had a sister-in-law named Kay, who was a nursery school teacher. And she was looking for something for her kids to play with, and and she took their wallpaper cleaning product, took it into the classroom, and the kids loved modeling it and moving it around. And her and her husband had a new name that they suggested for Play-Doh. And you might be like, but this is a wall cleaner. We're not in children's toy business. We're sanitation, we're cleaning products. But thankfully, they trusted this intuition, this experience, and they said, okay, maybe our business could be something else. And so they, they did a few things. They, you know At that time, it was just white uh, material. They added a nice almond scent. Anybody opened up the Play-Doh, there's like a a smell to it. Usually it's seen as pleasant. And then they started adding some red and yellow and blue color dyes to it and marketing themselves as this fun children's toy. Which is wonderful that the company that makes a malleable product was able to be malleable enough to trust to go into a new day for themselves. And I think for us, the question is: Do we trust God enough to be malleable with ourselves, that He could reshape us in some new way? And you say, "I I was built for this. I I lived my life to be a priest. I don't know if I can be a prophet. You know, that's a different kind of thing. It's a different skill set. I don't know if I'm cut out for that." And for you, you might have whatever you feel like God has been leading you up to your whole life, and then you had a roadblock where you're like. Was all of this for nothing? What was the point of any of this? Can you trust that there might be a new door ahead, a new path, something else that you have been made for that you haven't seen yet, that you can't admit is maybe something you might be called to yet? And so are we willing to let God reshape our lives, our hands, our feet, our hearts, our minds, because God is worth trusting with ourselves. And so I want to invite you this today and, and this week to reflect on what is God calling me to? Where am I being stubborn? Rebellious might be the word. Where am I being stubborn and like, God, this is what I want. This is the way I want it. But maybe God has something even better for you if you would just be, allow God to just mold you a little bit more. A slightly different direction. And thankfully, God's probably not asking you to eat some weird food like Ezekiel was. There's even weirder things that God could be calling you to. Maybe just take, say, God, yes, I'll take this option. It might only get weirder from here. But what would our lives look like if we were malleable? If we let our hearts be like the Play Doh in God's playhouse? May we trust. That God might not just tear us down, but rebuild us, renew us, give us new life in ways that we can't even see yet. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we all come into this worship with different experiences, different things going on in our lives. For those who feel like all they've been getting has been messages of woe, of pain, of of loss, we ask that you might bring some courage, bring some hope today. Lord, for those who just look like they're, they're, they're seeing valleys of, of just bones and, and death and loss, may we be given visions of things coming to life, of hope, of a new day. Lord, for those who feel separated, who feel disconnected, may we see that that valley is not just one person but the whole community that we all need this restoration we all need this healing together lord for those of us who feel like we're lacking our wisdom our direction our our clarity of our purpose Lord, i just ask that you might bring words of direction of guidance that you might speak to us about what you want from us in this season. Lord, help us to have ears that are open to hearing your word. Help us to not be so distracted by our everyday lives, by, by busyness, by whatever it might be, that we don't hear those words from you, that we don't take time to walk down to the river and see your presence come near to us. Lord, mold our hearts today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.